gathered together from the cosmic reaches of the universe, here in this great hall of justice. Superheroes have to be around other superheroes. You know what I mean? That's the Hall of Justice is more about them just commiserating about their powers and less about them like actually fighting crime. Seth Everett is the best there is at what he does, bub. And what he does is the Hall of Justice podcast. Go, go, go with a smile. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of the Hall of Justice. My name is Seth Everett, and we are so thrilled that you're here. You know, Apple has redesigned its entire app, and yet people still are listening to this podcast. We haven't been kicked off. Actually, the show disappeared for 48 hours. And uh, all I can say is uh, there was more support. And a couple of people tweeted, oh, wow, that's awesome. This podcast disappeared. So hopefully that when you hear this episode, you'll say, thank goodness it's back. There is this new film out called Justice Society World War II. And we've talked about it here on the Hall of Justice. And one of the writers of it is uh, she's got quite a resume and we'll be talking about her career as it is continuing to build and build. But we are pleased to welcome Megan Fitzmartin to the show. Megan, so nice to meet you. Welcome to the Hall of Justice. Thanks so much for having me. It's lovely to be here. Lovely to meet you. Are we establishing a rule now that we're, we're, we're going spoilers? Like we, we, we can we can say that we saw the film, right? I mean, I've seen it. <laughs> yeah, well, you wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> you wrote it. Um, it's one of those films that I think that so many people are going to gravitate toward because there's this nostalgia aspect to it, you know, but it's also there's so many things that you're not expecting. And unlike so many of the DC Universe movies, which is this is not an insult. A lot of them are taken directly from books. So mm. I kind of know where it's going. This one was completely unique. What was it like working on something? Just to start this conversation rolling here, what was it like working on something that's really original? It was a lot of fun. I loved it. Um, right, thanks for coming on. Yeah, yeah, you know, this was great. No, I, uh, I am so moved constantly. I grew up on comics. Um, I actually just watched this movie with my dad, um, who was the one that got me into comics. And we were talking about, ironically, we were talking about exactly this, where he was like, you know, I didn't know what the, the comic was, like, because it wasn't based off the comic, I didn't know what was going to happen. Right. And that, that was really thrilling, both for him, but also for me to, like, sort of see that on uh, with him, because I think that there is, to your point, there is a nostalgia that we love all of these different comic books for. But we also love whenever they do something surprising. We love when we, when we, when they're the, these characters that we know doing things that we've just never seen them do before or making us feel things that maybe we weren't expecting to feel um it it that's that's the meat and potatoes of it for me like that's why we that's why we gravitate to the characters in general is because we know them and they're comfortable so that we get to see them do very cool and strange and different types of things so i mean i i was pleased as punch that they were allowing us to to do uh, an original type story um but i also you know i grew up 
I grew up on like Batman the Animated Series and, and Justice League and a lot of those were a lot of those were pulled from comics but some of them weren't some of them were, were their own original, original yeah so you know I, I am grateful for Warner Brothers for, for allowing all of that well and there are char- look everybody knows those characters those right. characters exist um, but like Batman the Animated Series and I love how you say you grew up on that I was I was in college so <laughs> you're making me feel old but well just- to be to be perfectly honest, I wasn't a lot. We didn't have television in my house until I was 12. So when I say I grew up on it, I mean, like, you know, my my later wow. formative years. <laughs> wow. Um, you know, the the uh, idea of this story of introducing the Justice Society and I don't know if it's your line. You, 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 you co-wrote this 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 film um, with Jeremy Adams. Um, and Jeremy was episode, I was just looking up the number, 223 of this podcast. Um, so we, we had uh, Jeremy on the show. One of the things that uh, you even say, one of you wrote the line, what a corny name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's acknowledging that what, what's in the conscious of the viewer. Right. You know, you're, 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 you're taking your, your mind because I remember the first time I was introduced to the Justice Society, I was like, no, that's corny. And you're not you're not ignore you're not ignoring the elephant in the room. And I think that's a testament to knowing who your audience is. Yeah, I mean, that's we haven't seen Justice Society on screen before in an animated format this way. Um, And, you know, it's not it's not the same time period that it was written originally. Right. Like we're it's just a completely different time. So how do you sort of translate the nostalgia and the heart? of why it became such a big important deal to so many people into, you know, the current day and age. And and ultimately at the end of the day, it, it's just calling it out. Like it's just pointing it, pointing to it and saying, ah, yes, we understand that the t- trying to explain it is strange, but in reality, we all love this. And you can, as long as we point it out, we can get past it together and just enjoy it. But part of the emotion of the whole thing and I, if I remember correctly, I think it's Black Canary who says it like she's taken aback by the idea that this guy from the future, allegedly the future, the Flash, doesn't know who they are. Mm-hmm. She's like, no one knows who we are even like, what are we doing this for? And I just thought that I don't remember ever reading in a book like that's a, a, a unique thought. And I don't I don't compare these things to what's drawn on a page versus what's acted in live action. It's all the same genre. Right. And the reality of it is, is this is just as important. You know, it's a, it's a piece of, of art. And what we focus on most of this time on this podcast is usually the story and the writing anyway. And we use the reference Ryan Reynolds was great in Green Lantern. It's not his fault. He fought a cloud. That, that, that's the idea so we focus on the writing more but just the idea that she's really taken aback and for a while you don't know why they don't know who they are right yeah exactly and I mean that's to me so going back to the sort of the conversation about why then do we do a, a story that's maybe different or something like that what I love so much about these characters what I love about existing in these worlds is because they're so well known and realized and then you get to sort of you get to mine these things you get to mine these emotional pieces that you know we 
like to your point, maybe we hadn't been able to mine before. Like that's what the greatest thing about human imagination is that there are so many different emotions and feelings that we are feeling at any given point in time, which is not how it is in story. That's impossible to do in story. And so there is an unending supply of, of stories. That's why, you know, these characters have existed for so long is because there's so much to mine and there's so much still, and there will probably always be so much to mine um, because that's, that's the greatest aspect of storytelling, I feel like. You, uh, you said you grew up on, on comics. Um, I'm very interested in your take on comics now. You, from what I've done, the, the, the little research that I've done, I'm not like a CIA agent here, but I did a little bit of homework. Uh -huh. uh, you've written some comics. And there is a, a, a really interesting philosophical debate on where comics are going. You know, there's been so much talk about digital and just the idea that originally the DC Universe app was for comics and now it's kind of splintered into a comics app. And if I watch the CW shows, The Flash and Supergirl, I've seen all the Avengers movies and I watch Justice Society, but I haven't read a comic book. Am I still a comic book fan? Mm -hmm. People always ask, is this podcast about comic books? And I don't necessarily know that it is, but it, it, it isn't also because we're not necessarily talking about the latest issues. I feel like if we were doing this show 20 years ago, we'd be talking about Batman, the animated series, but we'd also be talking about the latest graphic novels that are coming out. Yeah. What's your what's your thought on the current state of comic books and how they compare to everything that's going on for live a live action and animation and TV and now all these these shows all over the you know cord cutting and all that other stuff how does that all fit in where do comic books fit in in that I mean I think part of what you're seeing is a pendulum swing right now because for so long there were not um popular live action shows there were like we we're now in the like quote unquote golden age of marvels movies and things like that and like for we had a couple of shows like we had smallville and then that gave way to like other shows but i mean i, I and you worked on supernatural i worked on supernatural yeah um like notice we, how you reference smallville first though well i, I, I didn't work on subtle. smallville I, was, I know that's what I'm saying. I think that's subtle. No, just well, because Smallville, Smallville's a like a comic book character, whereas Supernatural yeah. is not. And right. and I mean, Supernatural, that's a whole other conversation that we can get into just in terms of making way for genre and television. Like I'm watching through Star Trek right now. I've never done that before. And so I'm watching through um, The Next Generation, which then oh, wow. leads into things like Farscape and which I have seen um as well as you know and and then you get into like x-files as well through all of that like those are things that built into the golden age of genre that we're sort of in right now which is what we were able why we were able to have these amazing uh comic book superhero tv shows and because of that i think that you see more people leaning into like the bright shiny thing because comic books have been around for so long they we know what these have looked like and so the, the question now sort of more so becomes, well, how does the, the grandfather of these, these particular stories reinvent itself? And I believe that they can, because they always have, you know, Batman wasn't as dark as, and sinister as, as he is now. He was, you know, the Adam West Batman. And then Frank Miller came in and, and all of that stuff happened in the eighties. And like, it was a very, that was, that was the Madonna of it all of just like reinventing and, and restructuring and, realizing that like oh yes no we change with the times we change comics will change with 
sort of each generation that takes it on. And I think that that's sort of where comics are at right now is this realization. Um, and I love, I mean, I've, I've worked in DC. I, I love working in DC comics and the editors I have are in this space of like, okay, great. Yeah, what do we do? How do we, how do we push this? How do we change this? What, like those conversations feel very open and ready um, to be had. But I don't think, it's so funny because I think that it's very easy for us to get into is this the death of something? Like, what if we just take it as far oh, as we can podcasts go? are killing radio. So right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, or, or everything's a cycle. Everything is sort of a pendulum swinging back and forth. And, you know, and it's only the most popular thing until something else takes over. It, it's, and I think that I personally feel that way with comics right now, or, you know, I, I remember when I, I, I remember the day that Captain America died, my dad ran out of our home to get the comic book for it. Like I, <laughs> I, I remember these moments of like, you just, of, of quote unquote, water cooler television, things like that. Sure. And so I don't think that those things go away. I just think that we invent new things for it. We find new ways of doing it. Um, and we're, we're in the space right now of just, of, of that pendulum swinging back. Hey guys, it's Susan Eisenberg. Some of you may recognize my voice from Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, where I voiced Wonder Woman. And I'm here because Seth was gracious enough to let me come and promote my new business. It's called SoapCon Live, and it's a Comic-Con for soap operas. So if you're like me and you're a huge soap opera fan, go to SoapConLive.com. We're going to be featuring virtual free live panels on May 1st with some of your favorite soap stars from General Hospital, As the World Turns, One Life to Live, and The Doctors. So visit our website, SoapConLive.com, to find out how you can watch the panels and order meet and greets, autographs, and video greetings from your favorite soap stars. And stay tuned. I, I've said on the podcast before, uh, I wasn't a comic book reader growing up. Mm. I was a, an animation nut. I was a Super Friends person. And then uh, yeah. it turned into, you know, the, the, the Ruby Spears show. And then it turned into, you know, eventually Batman the Animated Series. But we used to get high and sit in our dorm room and watch Batman the Animated Series on VHS tape at midnight because that was that was Wednesdays. Like, that was our thing. <laughs> Like, and it was and it was beyond it was be it, it was opening up a world. But I remember uh, being sent. I was working for a campus TV station. I was starting my career and I got sent to cover the death of Superman. Mm -hmm. And I went into these comic book stores and I noticed the adult tones and the first comic book. I, I, I told Ron Mars, my first real book where I saw like a what the what was Green Lantern going nuts. Mm -hmm. Green Lantern just going bananas. And I was like, wow, this is this is for me now. Like now, this is speaking to me. And so whenever these movies come out, what I wonder about Justice Society, but I wonder about all the, the projects that you've worked on is who is the target demo for this? Is it the seven-year-old? Is it the 15-year-old? Is it the 35-year-old? Who is the person that when you're writing this, when you're conceptualizing this, you and Jeremy, who is the person you're imagining viewing this? I think I have two answers for that. One of it is me. I learned very early on uh, in writing that 
if I don't enjoy it, then I'm not going to, enjoy, if I don't enjoy writing it, then it's not a good movie and, or, a, or episode of television or whatever. Right. Um, because I'm, I am that like immediate litmus test. And there are going to be people in this world that don't like any, like anything that I write. There are going to be people in this world that like a couple of things that I write. But at the end of the day, if I am not pleased with the stuff that I'm doing, then I, I have failed the only person that I have any control over, which is me. <laughs> Um, and so I think there's that aspect to it, but like I got into writing stories in general because ultimately at the end of the day, I want people to know that they're loved because I discovered that I was like, I, I discovered is a rough word for it, but like found the love for myself that I needed through movies and through stories and through TV and things like that. And so ultimately, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make sure that I'm enjoying it. Uh, and, and it's a thing that like, little Megan would would enjoy but also you know I consider any story a success as long as I as somebody says oh okay you know what I found myself in this I I feel that I am worth something because of this um when 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 I saw that your name was on the credits uh for writing this uh I I immediately wanted to talk to you. I, I followed you on Twitter. I, I was like, this is interesting. And I saw the round table on the, the Blu-ray that, that's coming out. Uh, there's a, this round table of you and all the creators and you know, you're all fighting to get words in because you guys can all talk. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and, and I wonder, but I do believe we have a lot of female listeners and I know that we do. Um, and I, I was looking back through our guest list. I don't know that we've had a female writer before, but not for a lack of trying. It's just, we hadn't had a reason. Um, a lot of us in this space. But, but, that, but that's kind of where I'm going to this. Like, what about the opportunities? Are there more opportunities for women? Do people, because of, you know, social issues or, or whatnot, are they looking for a good female writer? Is there, is it easier now than it was maybe when you were working on Supernatural? Has the landscape changed in any way? I just, these are more questions for an audience that's not for me. I'm not, I'm not hosting this podcast like you write your movies because this isn't, I'm not the target for this answer, but I'm just wondering, what do you say to young people who have the same passions that you do to ascend to where you got to? It's hard. That's a loaded question. Hard. You don't have to answer it. Forget oh, the whole no. thing. It's good. I mean, because <laughs> it's, it's true. Like, it's really hard. I'm super aware of the rooms that I'm in and, and recognizing like, oh, I'm the only woman here or the only woman that can speak because there are people that like, there are maybe women in this that are here to take notes or something like that, but mm. not necessarily feeling in, uh, empowered. Like I. Wow. I got that and um and there are certain things that I've definitely rolled with because it's like I don't I don't have the power to fight back on this and I don't know if this would work if I fought back on it um it's it and I want to say it's gotten better I think it's getting better um but it is hard it's these it's just hard things because it's just systematic and and it's things that like within myself i've also sort of noticed of like oh well why am i feeling this is it my own personal internalized misogyny because i you know also grew up in this world and so being able to try and um be aware of it is helpful and and i i am so grateful i'm so grateful for my dad because my dad has never once ever been like this is not a thing for girls um mm. he 
took me to see, we were, I wasn't allowed to see PG-13 movies, except Spider-Man was PG-13 and the Tobey Maguire one was PG-13. It came out, my dad was so excited and was sort of, my mom was like, well, I don't know, it's PG-13. And my dad was like, no, we're going, it doesn't matter. We're gonna go, she's coming <laughs> with me. And he's always been so incredibly supportive of the things that I like. And I think that that helped me sort of exist in any space that I'm in because I'm like, no, I belong here. I don't care if you think I don't belong here or not. I know I belong here. Um, and just for people who are working through that, like, yeah, those are just unfortunately spaces that we as women exist in and, and then, you know, people of color have it even worse. So it's sort of like, sure. it, yeah, that exists, but it doesn't mean that I don't belong here or that others don't belong here. Like story is story and story, everybody's story is important. And no one, no one is allowed to tell you that your story is not important. Um, so, and if they do, then you know, oh, I don't trust this person. I can still work with them, but I don't trust uh -huh. them. And that's fine. No, I, I love, I love your answer. Um, if you can, you know, just in, in, in a short, we don't need the, this is your life part of this podcast, <laughs> but uh, where are you from? And, and how did you get from the college, you know, or the, or the school age to that first gig? And how did, what it seems like from a distance is you got an entry level position on a great project and then just worked your way and paid your dues and worked your way up the ladder. But if you could be more eloquent than I, than that, <laughs> it sounds, it, it just seemed like what, what, it, what it looked like from a distance. Well, so I'll say, um, I'm from Florida. I, uh, small town called celebration very much. Oh, no way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Um, Jewish geography coming. All right. We'll do that later. Well, uh, my joke is always that I was the emo kid in the happiest place on earth. Um, <laughs> And then I, I went to college to be a youth pastor, realized that, really? uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's a very, oh, yeah. you could have given me 99 guesses. I wouldn't have guessed that. <laughs> hey, yeah, supernatural. A, a, a real right turn um, yeah. <laughs> for a lot of things in life. I went to school to be a youth pastor. And while I was there, I was like, you know, I really feel that like my calling, if you will, like the, the point of, of why I'm on this earth is to tell stories and, and, you know, doing the thing that I wanted to do as a youth pastor, which is love on, you know, teenagers and tell them that like they're, they're meaningful. Um, but to do it through stories. So I moved to LA without anybody. Like I didn't know anybody. Um, Sight unseen. You just said, screw it. I'm going. I had come wow. out here to visit with my family in 2006 and then 2011, oh hundred years old. Oh, I got to no. stop that. 2006. <laughs> oh my God. Um, and I was like, oh, I really love this place. I always, there was some sort of yearning. Like I always was like, even in Florida, even whenever I thought that I wasn't going to be a writer, I was just like, no, nah, I really missed that place though. Like there was really something about it. Um, but I didn't know anyone. Like I didn't have any contacts in the industry or anything like that. I worked as a nanny my first year out, like for my first two nice. years. Actually. Um, and I'm really grateful because I also moved out here. I did some research on careers and I was realizing that oh the first break doesn't come for 10 years um it may look like it happens overnight for some people but like it doesn't it, it, well, it's when IMDB starts yeah exactly that's <laughs> IMDB page they starts. don't write nanny on on IMDB no exactly and that's that's sort of the thing is that um 
you know, I, I'm, and I'm so grateful for it. I was a nanny for two years and then I worked at a theatrical marketing company for three years. And that was, that was like my own film class. Then wow. I worked at Warner Brothers in their estimating department, which is like where they do all the budgets and stuff like that. So I learned about, you know, the behind the scenes of television before even getting on it. Um, and constantly sort of trying just to learn as much as I could in every situation that I was in, because I was like, you know, I don't, not only like as a writer, are you supposed to learn from every situation, but also I am, as a person, I want to benefit every place that I'm in. I can learn from everybody that's here because there are so many people that know more than me. And so I very intentionally was, I was a sponge. I was a, a learning sponge that tried to get as much knowledge as possible. I met as many people as I could just because, and not just for a networking sense, but like this is home. I knew when I moved here that LA was home and I want to work with people that are nice and that are my friends. And therefore I have to be friends with people in order to be able to work with them. <laughs> um, can I, can I ask one caveat? Cause yeah. I always remember when I, you know, my, when I graduated college, I moved to Denver, I started working in sports mm -hmm. radio oh. and then I lived in Seattle. And in those two cities, I always said that if I turned 30, and wasn't happy where I was, I was going to law school. That was mm -hmm. my, my plan. I was going to try this media thing for, for enough years. Uh -huh. Was there a deadline? Was there like a, a thing where you were saying, you know what, I'm, I'm sticking this out. I'm doing this, but I have, I have to go to plan B at some point. I think, well, once again, my original career was going to be a youth pastor. So it wasn't like I was really in any of it for the money because I was like, no. <laughs> It's fair. <laughs> <laughs> not get paid either way, so whatever. Um, but uh, when I moved here, I knew I, my deadline was more along the lines of like ten years. I will reassess because, like I okay. said, my my thing was well. I saw I, if in looking through people's careers, it took ten years. I will reassess where I'm at in ten years and see how I feel. And that ten years is actually this year, ironically enough. Um, <laughs> how about that? Yeah, yeah. So. Um, I didn't have a plan. It wasn't like, well, then I'll right. go do something else after. I was like, well, I'll, I'll, I'll relook at how much I want this, I guess, and right. Right. and see. Um, but yeah, so it's bold. I mean, what you're saying is re is really bold. Um, how do you, without being ostentatious, how do you um, tell the folks at Supernatural, hey? I have a brain. I can. I can contribute. I can. I can help, and thus get noticed enough to, you know, hook on with DC. How do you, without going through the day to day, the rigmarole of what your role was there, but just the idea of trying to assert yourself, but not being that mm -hmm. person, but not being the annoying person going, oh, "I can do this. Put me in, coach." Like, not that. Yeah. No. I. That's a really, really good question because I think that that it goes very underrated or like doesn't really get talked about much. Mm -hmm. I, I, so I went to Supernatural. I, I worked like I wrote on my own time, but I was like, okay, I am here. I am here to learn everything that I can. I asked everybody if I could learn from anything that they had. And, and the folks at Supernatural were also always really good about like, we want you to learn. We want you to grow. We want you all of that stuff. Oh, good. Um, so, but I just took initiative wherever I could. Like I would, um, I this sounds really small, but like I redid our, 
where where our lunch table was because I was like, oh, well, I can't, like, this is, this is a mess. What if I just, you know, it's those small things of like, how can I make your life easier and show that I have initiative? And then on top of that, I would say, oh, I'll proof your script if you need it. Like, I'll I'll help to like, you know, I'll, I'll read it. And, 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 and that helped me because I could read all of these scripts before there were notes on it. So I could see what was being noted and like what would change. Um, and then they would turn in a script that didn't have, I hopefully didn't have any, um, mistakes on it because, and so it was a, a beneficial relationship. And then on top of that, I had already seen the show before I was caught up. And so I was like, well, this is really a good position, like a good situation to be helpful, but also helps me out. I read all of the scripts. And mm. so it's over 300 scripts of television. And I was like, well, I'm going to read them all. Um, it helped oh, wow. me be beneficial to the writing staff because if there were questions, like we had people that were helpful, but like also I had that knowledge of, it was written this way. We've done it, we've formatted it this way. Right. Right. Season um, three, episode 16. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but also it was, it was beneficial to me. It was like a masterclass in genre writing by, by brilliant minds. Like Ben Edlin was on it and Jeremy Carver and Sarah Gamble. Yep. Like I'm obviously Kripke. Like there are so many people that, that were on this show that are absolute legends in genre. Um, and, and getting to read the scripts was was part of my education. And so finding ways that I feel like that to answer your questions more succinctly, it's finding ways to like be beneficial to others and myself. We'll be back with more of the Hall of Justice. But first, I have to tell you about another podcast I do. And yeah, we talk about it from time to time. But anybody who knows my career knows it's a sports broadcasting career. Yes, I love the Hall of Justice so much. I also started a podcast that is called Sports with Friends. It's a play on words because my mother always played words with friends. And I thought, wouldn't it be neat to see if I have as many friends in the industry that could come on a show and be open and honest and have a friendly chat? So I started the podcast and said every guest is a friend. But then I found out that some of my friends are in PR. And they book guests for the show. They've asked me to put people I'm just meeting. So now, every guest is a friend or a friend of a friend. We play Jewish geography. Some of the past guests on this show can be really close friends like Dave Softy Mahler or Andrew Siciliano. And some of them are big icons that are also friends. Ken Griffey Jr. thinks he made my career. Martin Brodeur, the best goalie in the history of the NHL. And we also tackle big topics. We'll find out about cord cutting for a sports fan or the life and death of Kobe Bryant. And then there was Nancy Lieberman's appearance. What a story she had to tell. And then there's Eli Manning, who's been on the podcast five times and counting. All I know is if you listen to Sports with Friends, you'll hear some great guests, you'll hear so many stories, and you'll feel like you know not only them, but me. Check out Sports with Friends wherever you can get your podcasts. If you're listening to this one, I guarantee you, you'll find Sports with Friends right there. You, uh, You mentioned Kripke, and from what people have told me, he loves that people are guessing every week about the boys. <laughs> like the social media, like when Aya Cash's character was going through all those twists and turns and uh-huh. he like that he was eating that up. Like he oh, was yeah. just like, 
like checking social media like every minute because the 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 buzz about all of that was so fascinating and you know one thing on this podcast what we try to do is wait till shows are over Mm-hmm. You know, because if you're going to review something, wait till it, wait, wait till it ends. Just yes, be perfect. fair about it. That's, that's and, very nice of you. It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of the way we want to do this. Yeah. Um, but, but, but what I, whatever I've heard of Eric Kripke from mutual friends, they've always said is he gushes about like, he's the guy that's checking his notifications before yeah. any alerts, any, anything, <laughs> because he was doing, you know, during the course of the run of both seasons of that show. Yeah. 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 He's. He, it, he learned a lot. like I mean also Supernatural especially came into being over the course of of social media like you look at the first season of that show and the phones are bricks and there is no Twitter and right, right. The, to land where it does now you know at its finale was just such a strange it's such a strange time capsule yeah it, it, it's a it's a show that I think that once it gets a prominent uh, re-promotion through social media. I say the same thing about Smallville. If they ever figure out the legal, legal wrangling and all of a sudden Smallville shows up on HBO Max or one of those services, there's right. going to be people be like, this this existed? Like, this was a thing? Yeah, I, I, I can just imagine. When you tell the story about how you read all the, the, the scripts, um, there's, that's not an automatic. That's not something that everybody does. Uh, Matt Ryan was on this podcast. He plays uh, Constantine in the Legends of Tomorrow. And he said that when he got the role of Constantine, what he did was he went to a comic book store mm-hmm. and said, I need everything about this guy. Yeah. Like, I, I, I show me everything. Like, he didn't know who he was. And but he did by the end and he did his due diligence. And even though the words were written for him, he had the, the, the wherewithal to, to do that. Um, back to the, the, the film. Um, Justice Society, World War II, uh, it's very bleak. And that was on purpose. <laughs> but it's really like the, the, not the characters, the characters aren't bleak, but the world that they inhabit is yeah. bleak. And the Nazis all look the same. <laughs> they all look like just absolute scumbags. And each one of them, I'm like, wait, didn't they kill that guy? He's the same guy. He looks the same as that guy. Like, just just the idea of setting that tone. Um, obviously, the art direction and the, and the director have a huge role in that. But on the page, how much of the of the making sure people realized this is war? I mean, it's interesting because I think actually what you're getting at is the necessity for the absence of that information, because mm. the story is first of all, we had a lot of characters to service, but like within having a lot of characters to service, we also wanted it to be like, this is their story. It is their story to deal with. And like the thing, and this is the thing that I love about genre in general is that it sort of creates the, like the feel of what you're, you're existing in, like within this very metaphoric space. And to me, you know, there's not a lot of specificity and I'm trying to remember, I, I, I think we, we were very not specific on the page. At least I wasn't mm-hmm. on, um, on the threat because the threat ultimately is what it what it is for them is what is this large monstrosity that it feels like there is no sort of connecting to the germans there is no sort of like you know that this is a bad force in a way that is very similar to how you know how you feel like how we all felt about covid right like it is this non-face force that is just 
encroaching on all of us and we all have to sort of survive together and that is sure i mean covid came after we wrote it but that i feel like is the is the comparison and so yeah it was it like i said i don't think the intention was to it was to put more emphasis on the team itself rather than on the the malignant force essentially yeah no there's definitely something to be said uh, about that um the idea that um this is this is like asking to pick your favorite child which i get asked <laughs> that more often than not yeah. um who of the taking barry allen out of it just because he's the the wild card of the whole of the whole thing of those characters who is the one that you you felt closest to and who's the one that when you were writing the thing best personifies your voice um dumped her a little bit well because because i have two answers i it's wonder woman and black canary and they're for two separate reasons. Wonder Woman is because she's such a leader and so it was very much like, I wanna do her, her justice. Like she's a hero of mine. Like I wanna make sure that I get this right. And so it was very, very fun and touching and like really wonderful for me to be able to write it. And then Black Canary uh, just out of nowhere, like became the, the voice of like, oh yeah, no, okay. Like this is how we can, both Jeremy and I, I think, had a lot of fun writing her. We we had fun writing all of them, but I it was unexpected. I think Black Canary was the most unexpected. I, I realized recently recently um, that like she was just determined on the page to be heard, and then the actress who played her was phenomenal and heard her so well that like it just popped in a way that um, I was uh, not surprised because I, I'm proud of all of them, but like that one right you know you go into writing and you're like all right i know who's going to be what i know which child's going to be which child and then whenever you work with kids one kid's going to be like nope you don't know me at all and you're like all right well i have to recalibrate what was uh what was wonder woman's accent i never asked anybody was, <laughs> is, is, is what was that accent is that is really no 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 that's uh a version of stana's i believe that um that she created huh yeah, she wow. created it, and um, I mean, our director's our, our director's great, and Butch is great, and um, they they sort of went along with it, and they 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 had that conversation. We I don't think we talked much about it when we were writing it, but when uh when we we started like hearing it and seeing it, we were like, oh yeah, no, that makes sense, especially because Stan is like amazing, and uh, and she's just so good. So it it worked out really well i feel it, it it threw me at first only because uh i have been scarred for life by gal gadot's role because as a jewish kid growing up um, um that sounded like my hebrew school teacher sure yeah and That's patty jenkins decides rather than have her be the the oddball because she couldn't do the american accent they had all the amazons be israeli and <laughs> now i was like oh a bunch of amazon women that all sound like my hebrew school teacher <laughs> This, where was this when I was 12, you know, like, like <laughs> and so all of a sudden she comes out with an accent and I'm going, oh no, again, we're going to go through this again. <laughs> um, in, in, in closing, uh, I wanted to ask you about social media and it's a question that I, that I get very different answers. I have this other podcast that I do called sports with friends. And in March we did 
all women for Women's History Month, women in sports. Mm -hmm. And that was a, a thing that we had, we had done. And everyone had a very distinctly different answer about social media. Some people <laughs> adore it. Some people can't stand it. Yeah. Uh, I personally, I, I've loved it. You know, it's, it's, it's been in the beginning, I, I adored it. I thought it was, it was a wonderful way to connect with people. Uh, in the last year, uh, it's been toxic as ever. Uh, and it could be a cesspool and I, uh, it, it's, it, it's very unnerving sometimes. Mm. So I asked this as a woman and as somebody who you get, I'm sure trolls that are not like what Jeremy gets, for example. Yeah. Uh, sure. <laughs> and and I, I would think that you wrote the same movie and, you know, we're not comparing who wrote more words here, but you wrote this together and he gets a very, very different experience on social media than you do. How do you embrace that? How does that either help or hurt you? And is that something that is a necessary evil or something that is a part of your life? I think so. The best thing that ever happened was a friend of mine told me to uh, mute any notifications from people who don't follow you. And that was a lifesaver. Man, I don't see anything that if people don't follow me and tag me in something, because if they don't follow me, it means that they don't like me. So they're probably not going to say huh. nice things about me anyway. So that cuts out a lot of the, the garbage. Uh, and then but like, honestly, I've always sort of looked at Twitter and, and I think in part, you know, I grew up with it, right? Like formative, whatever. Well, you just keep rubbing that in. I'm not so. trying to, <laughs> I'm just saying that there is a generational difference. Yes, I a do bit. understand. A, yes, a generational difference. <laughs> not a large generational difference. <laughs> what I'm getting at is Jeremy and me, like the way yeah, that yeah. Jeremy and I sort of react to it. And it's not a large <laughs> It's not a large difference, but it <laughs> it is a difference of like of the recognition of when it came into being and like the voices. Like when when did you start hearing the voices? Is sort of the question of like yeah, yeah. and and how fully formed was your brain? Like, which is a weird question, but like it goes back to sort of my my child development stuff. Like your brain is growing until you're about 24. Um, and I got on Twitter before I before that. And right. and so there was, my brain was still sort of forming in, in the aspect of, uh, in that aspect of it. So I think that there, there is part of that. Like, I think that that's part of the conversation that should be happening just in terms of like, are people used to it or not? Now, that being said, also the difference between, I think those, those particular parts of the conversation, I look at it and I've always looked at it as a tool. And if it is a tool that works for you, great. If it is, but, but a tool should never make you feel bad about yourself. A tool should never make you feel angry or sad or anything really. It's a tool. Like it's, it's, it's a, a, my wrench does not make me feel any type of way except useful. Like, and so in those moments, I think when social media gets to be, gets to be beyond that is when I, I sort of pull back and go, okay, great. Then we're done for right now. We, we, I, I will tend to get overwhelmed by a lot. And so there are days when I'm just like, you know what? I don't have to go on and I'm not going to. Um, because once again, it is a tool. It is a tool for me to use and it is a tool for, for me to feel, you know, whatever I want to. I, I have a lot of really strange thoughts that my friends don't need all the time. They don't need me to text them all the time. Uh, that burner I accounts. I'm a big fan of burner accounts. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh man. Don't worry. I Okay. My, my youngest brother ta uh, taught me about uh, Finstas. 
the fake Instagrams. Oh, I didn't know that one. I know. I was like, this is brand new information and I love it. Um, But I mean, there's, there's definite benefit to it, but those are the, that's my point is like, what are finding the benefit to it, finding the space that you get to exist in that feeds you and makes you feel good about yourself and helps you. And I do think that unfortunately we're in until, like I said, the pendulum, going back to the pendulum scenario, until it swings back to whatever new form, we're sort of stuck with it right now. Mm. Uh, we're sort of stuck with social media. So why not make it fun? Why not make it work for you? It's a tangled, tangled web. But for yeah. every female I ever say that to, they go, "You have you ever seen? <laughs> Are you kidding? I, mean, I wear it as a badge of honor. Like it's no, a- I, 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 pl- I applaud you for doing that. Well, I also you have got- to have a certain thick skin because not everybody I'm telling you, I've oh, yeah. asked this question to a dozens of people and everyone has a different answer. Well, and I'll say too, working on Supernatural for so long sort of helped. <laughs> I think like I the first time I got a load of hate was like within the first couple of weeks of working on the show. And, you know, it was good. I needed that. I needed to go through that in order to be like, okay, this is either, I need to make a choice. I need to make a choice whether or not I want to stay on here. I need to make a choice whether or not I'm going, who I'm going to let listen, like who I'm going to listen to. Uh, And, you know, I got hate. I I didn't get canceled. That's such a fraught phrase now. So I don't Uh use it, but I got like, I got a lot of flag at least three times while working on the show um, in in large quantities of of, um, some opinions. And, you know, it helped because it, at the end of the day, it also taught me I am grateful to work on something that people feel passionate about. I don't have to agree with them. I don't agree with them. I don't have to engage with them if I don't agree with them. But I'm also, you know, I grew up, here's the other thing too that's different. I grew up in fandom. I grew up in fandom culture in the sense that like I, I, I remember the, the angel fire websites that people made. And I remember the Yahoo groups that were going around and, and fan fiction was a huge part of my existence. And so it's very, I, I recognize that a lot of fan reaction is very important to just consuming media and culture. I don't have to be a part of it if it's something that I did, but you know, I can, I can allow, like, I understand the importance of it. And therefore I can like, accept that in the same space that I'm in. No, it's, it's fantastic. So uh, based on that answer, I can then say, how can people who are hearing this and people who are getting the the film and seeing Justice Society World War II for the first time, and they're like, oh my God, this, this interesting person that I never knew uh, wrote this movie. How can they uh, sing your praises or rip you to shreds? Uh, How can they do that online? What, what, how, how do they find you? Um, I am pretty much across the board, uh, Meg Fitz, M-E-G-F-I-T-Z, 89. Uh, that's on Twitter. That's on Instagram. Um, all of, all, the, all of the drugs of choice. Yeah, exactly. Whatever, whatever floats your boat. <laughs> whatever, whatever, whatever your, your thing is. Well, you know, we can, we, I can say this. Um, congratulations on the film. I effing loved it. I thought it was, it was awesome. Uh, and I don't say that about all of them. I'm nice to all of them, but I'm not. But I don't say that about all of them. They're, they're, this one stands out. It really is. It's so compelling. And I'm glad we didn't wind up spoiling it, because to be honest with you, um, I'm glad we didn't do that, because go see this darn movie. It's 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 really, really good. 
Uh, and you have to see it a couple of times because it has layers and there, there's more to it than than just your your typical superhero fair. Um, these DC Universe films just hit it out of the park. One of my favorite episodes we did on this podcast was we ranked them all. And that was like 10 oh. films again. Oh, it was so yeah. much fun to do just this react. And when Jeremy found out, he wants to do it now. And I oh, said, yeah. oh, absolutely. so no, that was my immediate. That I was see okay. this as a summer project. We're going to get a bunch of people to come <laughs> yes. around and and do it and just just rank them. And what the best part about these DC films is the 40th one. Hard to believe, but this is actually number 42. But the 40th one doesn't suck. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like there's there, there's no egg in there. Like, yeah, there are some that are better than others. You know, there's no secret about that. But uh, check this one out. I want to see how time, you know, ranks this one uh, overall. But I will say that if you have any issues with the film or the podcast, do me a favor. If you if, if you have any issues with this film or or anything from this podcast, even uh, do me a favor. If you have supernatural questions, don't ask me. Just ask Megan. Uh, reach out to her directly. Leave me the hell out of it. Uh, but seriously, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for, for your story. And uh, I'd love to have you back. And you can come back and do that rankings and we'll have you back on the show. That'd be awesome. Thanks. Thanks so much. That's Megan Fitzmartin. Again, the film is called Justice Society World War II. It's available on Blu-ray, DVD, digital, wherever you can get uh, these films. Trust me, it's there. Uh, and you can see it as well. Uh, we'll be back next week with another edition of The Hall of Justice. Thanks for listening, folks. Believe it or not, I'm walking on.